Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out, no matter how hard it rains. In my city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 279th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger, and I am joined tonight by OG, Real Hawk Talk brother, Jeff Simmons, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. Jeff, I always have to remind folks that the original Real Hawk Talk was was ugly, both like from us being on it and from the software we used to start with. And I think like Aaron Levine was maybe our first guest, if I remember right. And it, like the sound was all mucked up. So like OG, OG, Real Hawk Talk was you and I at the very beginning. <laughs> We've come a long way. We've come a long way. Uh, we were ahead of the game on Zoom before <laughs> people started doing Zoom. Yeah, I don't know how you guys discovered that, but some of the older software we were using. I remember some of those first interviews we did. We, we had like Mike Garofalo calling us from like, a car cell phone in like the middle of his training camp tour. And like, that was one of the more wild ones that happened. I, I mean, I consider Mike, Mike Garofalo, like one of the preeminent, you know, NFL reporters out there. I had no expectation. He'd have any interest in joining our show that had <laughs> absolutely no following at that point, really. Um, and you got him, you landed him. That was, that was fun. And we, he, we talked to him about, um, Sheldon Richardson, didn't we? Didn't yeah, he kind of leaked it like in a subtle way, and we didn't realize it until later. Yeah, yeah, it, we've had some, we've definitely had some good guests. We've gotten a little bit lazy about guests because honestly, I don't know. I just like talking to you guys for the most part, um, and and guests take a little bit of time and and prep and you know whatever. But we are nearing our three hundredth episode, so we'll have to start thinking about you know, getting someone good on here for that. Um, so there's, there's a bunch to cover. I, I did post game show after that Bengals game. You and I have been texting like we always do the whole week, but I am eager to hear a couple days removed from that game. What's, what are your takeaways from that game? Like, how are you feeling as a Seahawks fan right now? What were the things that you kind of walked away from that game thinking? It's, it's funny how time changes things because I was really pissed off on Sunday. And initially, it just felt like a wasted opportunity because of how well the defense played. 
And the defense in the second half was so good. And the fact that they couldn't win that game and get to four and one and just reward the defense for what they did to Joe Burrow in that passing game. I was really pissed off. I thought there was just opportunities left on all over the field. And when I listened to you guys on Sunday, uh, I was shocked how positive you and Dana were. I, I was a little taken back at first. I'm not going to lie. And the more I, I read and the more I've kind of dug into what happened and I listened to Pete and I, I've kind of, I'm still a little annoyed. I'm still a little annoyed for sure. But now that I kind of watched what happened and why it happened, I'm far more closer to where you were that day. I got to commend you. The, the perspective you had right from the jump was pretty good because I couldn't get past it, the fact that they just didn't win the game. But once you kind of realize why it happened and what happened, I was a lot more understanding. And there's a lot of reasons why the red zone offense didn't work. And a lot of it's stuff we've talked about and things that came up in that game. And so the, the reason I'm not as mad anymore is I think a lot of their issues are eventually fixable. Some of them are going to take a little longer than others. But I understand why there was some optimism coming out of that game not from just from you, from Pete. It's just ultimately we talk about this team and what's this season all about. It's about what their ceiling is. And if the defense can be at this ceiling, it, it, it just makes me – the expectations change a lot. Obviously, the offense needs to be a lot better. That was such a focus of mine coming into the season, and it's been disappointing. But the defense being a level that – makes people question, are they a top 10? Can they be a top 10 defense? Can they be a top five defense? There was a point where we're just hoping they're average. And that was most of the year. So I, I've come back to more of that side where it's just how good can this defense be? And that changes the whole way I watch this team now. Well, I didn't pay you to say any of that, by the way. And I'm actually not, not super surprised. I, I, I'm not... I didn't necessarily expect you to be there because I got the distinct sense. You were, you were a little annoyed. Like when we were first talking, you're like, Brian, shut up already about like, you didn't say that, but that was the impression I got was like, you know, enough, like this sucked. They lost. And so I wasn't sure where you were going to be. And so it's interesting. We'll talk. I, I'm not saying we'll be in the exact same place, but it is interesting just to kind of hear your perspective. And you're someone who always ends up with a very sound point of view. So I'm, I'm always curious about that. Um, I think the way, like something I haven't talked about as much in the, in the aftermath of this game that, that I want to take a stab at seeing if I can articulate here is the way I kind of evaluate football teams in the big picture, um, is, you know, spoken kind of silly in a silly way. Like football is just all about probabilities, right? Like every play call has an implication based off the probability of it succeeding has to do with the players on your side of the ball. The players on the other side of the ball has to do with the, the, the play that's called from the opposing side. Like there's so many different probabilities going on and odds that are happening at each step of the way. But if you zoom out to the, the, the team level, there's different ways you can win a game. And we at the beginning of the year, we're talking about that this needs to be a five-star offense, you know, for this team to be really a good team, because the expectation was the defense was going to be bad enough that the only way that this team could actually be relevant, like really relevant, like maybe win a playoff game relevant is that the offense had to be top five. Right. And 
that made sense. Like I, I, I think that was a totally valid evaluation. But what that meant was that your odds of winning a game were almost exclusively tied to how well the offense could perform and that the offense had a much narrower like uh room for error essentially or an off week or an off game or an injury or whatever else and so then when the the offensive line stuff happened i think for that's part of what for you and i especially was like well shit if this is a team that's totally dependent on an offense being great you're not going to have a great offense with your two tackles missing. Like you're just not going to be a top five offense, not realistic. But now the defense is starting to change the equation. The defense is not just looking like they could be mediocre and like not lose games. The defense looks like it could be eking into that tier where they could actually win games and lower the threshold for how good the offense has to be to win a game. That's what just happened. Like that was the first time that really the Giants game, you could kind of say that happened, but the Bengals game, it really happened. And so that to me is it literally changes the formula, the equation for what this team needs to do to win a game and how many things have to go right. And now I feel like there's way more ways for this team to win a game than there was when the season started. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because there was no scenario where I would have thought we'd have that conversation this year. Uh, the defensive line group looked so bleak coming into the year. Uh, linebacker looked like a real question mark. Jordan Brooks was a guy I, I didn't think – I thought we'd get maybe a couple games out of him. Jamal, I didn't think we'd get to see. Witherspoon obviously didn't play all summer. And there's no way you could have imagined a guy just hit the ground running like that and there was just left there was question marks everywhere basically and i, I didn't think there's a scenario we could have that conversation and that's what makes this game so tricky because on one side it was just so encouraging and the other side was just so frustrating because it should be by all indications the strength that's where a lot of their best talent is but yeah the defense all of a sudden it's two games in a row now where they've carried it over they've looked the same they have those first two drives against burrow where they were moving the ball with those quick passes. They couldn't get near them. And the adjustments they made, it seemed like it was a little schematic. And if you heard K.J. Wright talking about it, he was really, really good today. He was on Brock and Salk. I mean, he was just talking about, like, the variety of coverages they're running now that they never ran in the past and some of the schemes they're doing. And, like, getting – all of a sudden, Jamal Adams, like, coming off that concussion, that looked like the all-pro Jamal Adams. And you're seeing – I don't know if we'll see that, like the blitz version we saw a couple of years ago, but there's just so many elements to this defense. And I talked, we talked about it last Wednesday. The reason I did could see some improvement is there's a real talent improvement. And the, the talent improvement is so significant that it's just all these guys they've replaced. They, they're getting upgrades at almost every spot going from Michael Jackson and Puna Ford and Quentin Jefferson, Shelby Harris and Cody Barton. Josh Jones, look at the guys they've replaced them with. They've upgraded significantly all across the board, and you've seen it all come together. All three levels are playing well. And it's crazy to say, but, like, that secondary, the sky's the limit for them. Well, I mean, uh, how many times, Jeff, 
you talked about Witherspoon. Like, who could imagine that he's going to hit the ground running the way he has? How many times have we like imagined? Okay, this could this guy could be this good. Like, he could be. This is what he the potential we could see. And then they you see him in the first game, and you're like, uh, we're gonna have to give him excuses. It's his first game. Not like okay, it's his first season, his rookie year. He had an injury, and you come up with all these reasons. You probably count on like two hands how many times in the last well maybe just one hand in the last 10 years last 15 years that someone came onto the team and performed to what you were hoping they could be like and witherspoon's one of those guys i think that another guy that is still getting he's in the shadow a little bit of of what's happening here is trey brown Hell yeah. Trey Brown, his first few starts a couple years ago looked incredible, like really promising. And and we got really excited. Then he missed all the time with injury, came back last year. He looked like nothing like himself. You know, first game of the year this year, I think he had a bad game, didn't go so well, right? But since then, when he got back on the field in Detroit and – um and then back on the field here, this guy's your best cover corner, um, or at least is in the conversation for that right now. And I think, Jeff, is it fair to say that Reek Woolen right now is third on the list of cover corners for this team based on what they've done this year? I know you hate uh, this question. No, no, I think based on what they've done this year, Brown and Witherspoon, you can see in their PFF grades, you can see – in the eye test uh they're playing at a far higher level and teams are going like you saw the Bengals make a pretty concerted effort to go at woolen last game mm-hmm. and he got a little better with press coverage in the second half and first half looked a little loosey-goosey they were going out and they're they were clearly targeting the, the Niners did it last year in the playoffs so based on what we've seen in this four game sample he's played I don't think there's a question that he's been the third best corner I think I think with Reek he's he's a project player he's He's way more based on his tools than you look at Witherspoon and Witherspoon is crazy advanced. Like the way he reads things, the way he, the fact that you can just put him in the nickel mm-hmm. without ever having played in the fast, the fact that he didn't even have an off season and all of a sudden he's just like that, like his level. And that's what Pete fell in love with him off season. Like he does have some like Charles Woodson, Paul Malu stuff in his game, which is crazy. For a guy that some people were writing me in the preseason that this guy's a bust because he's playing the nickel. <laughs> a buddy who like was telling me he's confident this guy's gonna be a bust. He misses, he holds out, he, he misses camp, he's injured, he's not playing outside. And the fact that he just by game two, he looks like the best player on the, the defense, it's been crazy. So yeah, Woolen, Woolen is a he's a much rawer player than Brown or Witherspoon. So what Woolen did last year was you saw he like the guy can run four two, he can pick the ball off, he can jump, he can run. If he learns to play corner with that, those guys level, he'll be the best player in the league. I don't know if they, uh, that's possible of him. There's a reason he went in the fifth round. He is not he's a raw player. And if you're gonna target one of those three guys, it's not surprising that they're gonna go after him. So the next several games, we're gonna learn a lot about Woolen. Well, one of the things that's just the reason I bring that up is because what we're all thinking, all Seahawks fans coming into this year is woolen is the 
is the benchmark. He is he is the top shelf of your cornerback crew, and really probably your top player in your secondary overall. And now we're talking about not one, but two players that have outplayed him this year. And I don't think it's, I don't think Woolen has been bad. I just don't think he has been excellent. And what did he do last year? He had like six picks. And so team stopped throwing it. They went at Kobe Bryant. They went at Michael Jackson. They went other places, right? Because why would you pick on this guy? He's shown good ball skills. He's, you know, former receiver. He's done some things really well. They're not going to have that luxury anymore. So they're going to now have to start targeting Will. And I think it's reasonable to expect his level of play should improve. I think that's only going to help him to get more action, to potentially make more plays in the ball, to be like more engaged. And there's nowhere else to go. And Pete, I, I think you heard him. I think it was on the, the Brock and Salk show when he was talking. Basically, he didn't want to name names, but he's like, why is this so much better than last year? And he's like, well, because we got got we have had young guys out there just trying to figure it out before. Now we've got guys that really know what they're doing and are really good. Like he basically he like he, he didn't say it, but he said it. Now that that hit me like a ton of bricks because right? I've been that for so long. And let's look, look, look at Kobe Bryant, the first two games of the year, like Detroit game where we're like, this guy is unplayable. And Julian loves to turn a corner. And like we spent so much time last year on Cody Barton. And <laughs> yeah. like Bobby's been awesome this year. Mm-hmm. Bobby's been fantastic. Jordan Brooks and Bobby have been fantastic. And just like what they were in that playoff game last year, they had Tanner Moose and Cody Barton in the middle of their defense. And they go from like Bobby's playing at like an all pro level and Brooks, who's been like, Seamless coming off this injury. And Draymond Jones has emerged the last few weeks. He's making yep. plays now. And Mafe, like from Mafe this year to last year, is night and day. And like the Jaron Reed thing is still the most shocking story of the season because that seemed like such an underwhelming signing. But again, all three levels, they've upgraded and they have the, the guys they were trotting out loud. Quandre had a great game. I, I think that went under the table. How good Quandre played last mm-hmm. week. It was like a, I think an 82 or 83 PFF grade. And KJ was saying it was one of the best games he's played in a long time. So, man, they're, they're loaded. It's it's true. And, and you mentioned it. They're basically, they are rushing the passer well, both on the edge with, I mean, uh, Nuosu and Mafe have both been good on the edge. We'll come back to some of the things that aren't as good there, but but those have been good. Uh, they've been rushing the passer well from inside. Mario Edwards, Jaron Reed, Draymond Jones have all made contributions along that. Even Miles Adams at times has been good there. They've played well against the run. They've they've set the edge. They have they have like not made it the linebackers' job to take on three linemen and the the ball carrier. The linebackers are playing the run well. They're also pass rushing well when they're asked to do that. Coverage, okay, yeah. at times good, but not bad. Yeah. Um, not like not like horrible. Um, and then the corners, each corner, excellent um, to at least above average uh you know and the safeties now digs adams love all very good and and we're not even talking about guys that are 
I think Devin Bush has something to offer. He was inactive this week, a healthy scratch, right? Like that's the kind of depth that implies that you've got some real talent. And then I think the turbo boosters for this, Jeff, are the guys on the edge that have not yet contributed. That is Derek Hall. That is Daryl Taylor. Yeah, Daryl Taylor's been quiet. Got nothing from either of those guys, really. There's been some times where Derek Hall's had a few pressures in a game, but he's not, not really like, he's not living up to the expectations I think people had. So, like, hopefully there's some more upside. And, by the way, Mike Morris seemed to be a guy that was going to be a big part of this. He's out for the year. So there's an, another guy coming in next year that I think there's some real reason to be optimistic about. Cam Young, up and down. I don't know how much he's going to be uh, play a role, but when he's played, he's played okay. So it feels like there's more, a little bit more that can be had from this team, um, uh, from the defense going forward. Yeah. So interestingly, Jeff, part of why it's no coincidence that they're playing this way when they get what healthy and guys are on the field. So let's switch to the other side of the ball where a lot of the conversation has been this week. And I've been very outspoken on this topic and I think I'm in, I'm in one part of this and I don't know. I don't actually don't know where you are on this and I don't know where other folks are. But it has turned into just a real question about whether Geno Smith's the right quarterback for this team, whether he should stay in, whether they should bench him and play Drew Locke now, whether they should be already planning to get out of Geno's contract at the end of this year. Uh, and I want to know, like, how, where are you on, on that whole topic? There's, there's a lot there. I think it's just become a point – and just the way sports are analyzed, especially football, where people are either good or terrible. There, there's no seem to be like a middle ground at all. Like being like the 11th, I have a buddy who's a Vikings fan. All he does is always tell me they need to replace Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is like the perfect like 10th quarterback in the NFL. And I'm like, well, if you if you guys want to get rid of Cousins, there's 20 other quarterbacks. So where are these teams replacing 20 quarterbacks from? And it's gotten to the point where like, if you're not in that top five, you suck. Either good or you suck. You suck. And I got a buddy who's like a smart football guy. Every week, just tag. He's a Seahawks fan. Just writes me, Gino sucks. And I just like, I can't even, like, I can't even comprehend it. It's, it's so, it's ridiculous. It's just every metric would have him as like a top 12 quarterback. Like, the ringer does their rankings every week. I think he's like eight or nine, whatever. But I get the frustration that he played a huge role in losing the game last week. He made three decisions and maybe even four that really cost them the game. And big picture, I do think every part of what you're seeing with Gino, because you saw a significant drop-off last year, is a data point that you're you you're evaluating, basically, is this the guy you can move forward with? And I think this whole season, that's a big part of the question. And Brock and Salk asked KJ this today, like, what grade does he have to be for you to move forward with him as the quarterback making big money? Because they have, they said he had to be a B plus and they haven't probably about a B right now, but it was an interesting conversation. But anyway, I, I think the idea of Gino being benched is ludicrous. Did he play poorly? Yes. I think there's reasons he played poorly and we'll get into those soon, but he needs to be better. 
he needed to win that game. And he looked rattled. He looked rattled. And a lot of that had to do with the pressure. And Brian, you've tweeted out the pressure numbers. But he made some mistakes. He made that horrible interception where he like did a Madden predetermination. He, I don't, I don't know what happened with DK on that rev, but it's hard to say what happened there. And he took a horrible, a couple horrible sacks, held on to the ball too long. But the throw he doesn't make to JSN on that scramble, I think, is the play that probably the second biggest play other than the interception he threw. So I was frustrated with him too, but this idea that he needs to be benched, this idea that like Drew Locke is going to change things, to me it's laughable. It's, it's a waste of time. And I saw that field goals poll where 22% are saying they need to bench this guy. I think that's crazy. Gino is Gino's been a good quarterback this year, and he has he's had one great game, but he's had some moments. And Gino will admit he needs to be better. He was did not have a good game and ultimately lost them the game, but. There are reasons why Gino had issues in the red zone, and I'm sure we'll get into those. But a lot of this has to do with – and listen, when when Gino – we talked. you mentioned this earlier. When the tackles both went down against the Rams, I thought the offense was going to tank. I thought this team was going to be like Caleb Williams' territory. And you, you wrote it after the Giants game. Andy Dickerson had that group holding up, and finally uh, that kind of came back. When Gino, Gino is sort of a little like Jared Goff. That's the comparison I always make to him. And he he's not like a the kind of quarterback where you can put anything in front of him and it's going to work. He needs to be, he needs to have things working around him. He needs pass protection. He needs good weapons and he needs good play calling. I don't think Gino is this like crazy elevator. And that's not a lock. Again, that's, that's what he is. And when the pass protection broke down, he did not have a good game. And ultimately because of that. Yeah, it's so interesting because, I mean, we we had no problems talking about the defense being trash when they were playing without most of their starting cornerbacks, without, you know, their best safety, you know, their highest paid safety. And, uh, you know, that was all, you know, it was just fine. I mean, it, it's normal. And so... And then when they get back, all of a sudden they play really well. We're all really excited about them. We're talking about each one of them, about how they're doing their job really well. I don't think it's that much different on offense. I think the reality is that I think the offense has overperformed their personnel from a from a and I think that's where I think that's where there's some difference is I think people are like, Hey, he's got JSN DK Tyler. He's got his tight ends. He's got these great running backs. He's got everything he needs to succeed. Folks. If you don't have an offensive line, if you don't have protection, like there, I don't know how many different ways to prove this point. There is literally no quarterback in the entire NFL that is good when under pressure. Like the highest rated quarterback in the NFL is barely above average as a passer when they're under pressure, period. And that's year after year after year. There's not like elite quarterbacks are not good when they're under pressure. Nobody's good when they're under pressure. There's people that are better, but nobody's good. And so if that's just a reality, Jeff, that like quarterbacks under pressure are not good then it stands to reason that if there's a higher percentage of you being under pressure, 
the percentage chances of you being good are way lower. Dude, right? He was pressured 46% of his dropbacks. It's almost one every two dropbacks. And like you talk about what your job is on defense. It's to move the quarterback off the spot and to rattle him. And that's what happened with Gino. He got it. He was he was a little rattled. He was rushing things. He was trying to spin out of things. He was he was a little hesitant because he threw the ball away and made those interceptions. I think that's why he didn't pull the trigger on that pass to JSN. But like when your offensive line performs as bad as the Seahawks did, think about it, like Patrick Mahomes is like the gold standard of quarterbacks. Remember what happened to him that Super Bowl against Tampa when they were pressured the whole game? They got killed. And this is the best quarterback maybe of all time. That with Brady against the Giants. So I'm not saying Gino is fucking Mahomes or something, but like when you really dug into what happened, the offensive line was really bad, especially at right tackle. Sam Hubbard, who's a good, he's a guy that me and Nathan talked about as a guy like we had once starting for Seattle last week. He had nine pressures. Eight of them came against Curran at right tackle. And we've been saying all year, like they've been playing with fire with this offensive line because everyone's been banged up. And now you take Damian Lewis out of there. And then you find out later that Phil Haynes could barely get through the week. And Curran, at the best of times, he's been, he, we know what he is. He can't really pass block when he's healthy. He rolled his ankle in the game. So an injured Jake Curran, he, he was the worst player in the field. And he was, in the, he was a disaster. So you know, your left guard a disaster. Your left tackle is coming back off injured. This is the first game back. He had some issues with Trey Hendrickson, who hasn't. Uh, right tackle, disaster. Anthony Bradford is more of a run blocker at this point. He, he had some issues in pass protection. Evan Brown was okay. Uh, not, that was his worst game so far. And so it's five guys. None of them played well. Yeah, it, it's it's just it seems it's the the part that always is confusing that has been confusing to me is how simplistic the pe- people have been about it's Gino, and when it was when it was Russell back in the day and he struggled, it was always the offensive line. It was never Russell, but That's we got the same fan base, and it's like it's Gino. It has nothing to do with like what are you talking about? literally. We, we have no starters like like one week in, in, in New York, like literally zero starters on offensive line at, at their appropriate positions. And this week, you know, we, we have played exactly one game with our full uh, left tackle for a full game. We've played exactly zero games with our starting right tackle. And when you look at where the pressure is coming from, nearly half of the pressures. 43% of the pressures on the season are coming from the right tackle on this line. 43%. And so like, to me, why are we talking about Gino? Like, I, I mean, we can have this religious battle, but it is an absolutely flawed perspective to think that changing Gino, changing that position is what the problem is. And people are like, well, what are you going to do? You're going to bench the backup right tackle? You damn straight, we're going to bench the backup right tackle. I want to see 41-year-old creaky Jason Peters at right tackle. I want to see them try Anthony Bradford at right tackle. He played it in college. I want to see them bring in DJ Fluker for a tryout. He's played, like, I don't care. Jake Curran is basically the worst right tackle in football, so you can't tell me that there's no... Even try Stone Forsyth over there. He's tried there. Like, he'd be a different type of right tackle. Whatever. 
he, you cannot keep putting Jake Curran at right tackle. That's job number one. That's what the conversation should be. Yeah, and they, they signed two young tackles, too, when Cross and Lucas both went out. Uh, one of them, McClendon Curtis from the Raiders. The other one was O'Neal from Tampa. I think some of them were more left tops, but hell, give those guys some practice time. Give them a shot. Curran's been the worst. Curran was the worst player on the field, and they got some big defensive lines that are coming up against the next few weeks. They got to get this settled because it doesn't seem like Lucas is going to be ready anytime soon. They got the Browns coming next week. They got the Ravens after that. They got Washington, Rams. Those are a lot of defensive lines where they can get edge pressure. And you saw what happened. And a lot of those red zone plays were just blown up, whether it was the run game, whether it was the pass game, especially in the pass game. A lot of those plays were dead before they started. They were dead within two seconds. And that had to do with the play of the right tackle. And some of it was left guard, but by far the number one spot is right tackle. And I think it's just a bigger picture. People have their beliefs in Geno. I think it's maybe because of how his career went or maybe because of Russell and, they want to have that all pro level quarterback. And like, that's a conversation for another day. If you look at all the options, the Seahawks could have had a quarterback. Gino is so far ahead of who you could have gotten. If you want to look at like Malik Willis, there were smart people that went on TV pleading for the Seahawks to draft Malik Willis. Desmond Ritter statistically is the worst quarterback in the NFL. Drew Locke couldn't beat out Gino. Baker Mayfield, if you saw him play last week, he was far worse than what Gino did. Derek Carr, same thing. Jimmy G's been hurt twice already. Like, I get it if you don't like Gino. I get it. But what was their alternative, number one? And two, I think the offensive line, I think Shane Waldron is not taking enough heat for mm-hmm. his contribution to a lot of their red zone issues. And I think they did a really good job with, earlier in the year with Detroit and how they used the tight ends. And I know they played more three receivers, but they weren't chipping Sam Hubbard. They weren't helping with guys there. They were running a lot of just drop back three receivers, run the offense, and there are plays that you could do to adjust for a bad offensive line. They were just dropping back, running long developing plays. It was clearly a part of their strategy, and I think that was a huge issue, and I think they need to make significant adjustments to get this red zone and get this offense working again. Yeah, I I think people are just uh, overly simplifying all of this. It's so easy too because it's quarterback. And any anybody that says that Gino played well last game is wrong. Like that that's that's clearly wrong. But I think this notion that he also can't has only can play from a clean pocket is also not true. He didn't have a clean pocket for half that game. He had more big time throws than all but two quarterbacks last week. He had more explosive passes than all but like two quarterbacks last week. So like he. He made tons of big plays. He didn't make the ultimate play. He didn't make the winning plays. And in fact, he made losing plays. And I think that's where the criticism is, is totally valid. I just think it's missing the real source of the problem to be focusing there. I think this is much more about the offensive line. And I think it is to change gears where you're, where you're going, the the offensive play calling and, and the scheme there. So Shane Waldron, uh, if people haven't seen it, We've talked about it before on the show up until this week because of the offensive line issues. They've been very smart. They've been using two tight ends, uh, 12 personnel for people like one running back, two tight ends. And that's been helping with pass protection. The tight ends have done well. They've been they've used that. They'd use that the sixth most of any team in the league. And they were number one in EPA 
when using that personnel grouping. So that had been their bread and butter. They went this week, they got Charles Cross back and they went to 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end and three receivers. They went from 55% of that personnel grouping the first five weeks to 70% against the Bengals. Huge leap. Reduction in the amount of two tight ends. This helped JSN start to realize his capabilities. And I think maybe, Jeff, we were a little bit fortunate that it went this way for JSN. Maybe he, I don't know that he was really healthy until recently either. Maybe he, if he had been tackled two weeks ago or three weeks ago or had been used more, maybe he'd be hurt. Who knows? But in any event, his usage is getting increased. Protection was not great. And they were longer developing plays, like you were saying. So if you look at EPA per play in 11 personnel, the Seahawks were not good last year. They were like basically 0.00 EPA, like not positive, not negative. This year, the first time that you know they did it, they weren't great in that regard either. The expectation is that JSN is their solution there. And I still think that that's true. But I think some of it has to fall on Waldron. Like, does he know how to use three wide receivers? I have that as a question. I mean, people were talking on the broadcast about how he's a former tight ends coach and how that's where he like has a lot of love for that position and knows how to use it. I think we the jury's out on whether Shane Waldron knows how to use three wide receivers and create a powerful offense behind what is the most common personnel, popular personnel grouping in the NFL. Yeah. And I think with that personnel grouping, it puts a huge emphasis on pass protection because you don't have, you can't disguise things the way you can with the two tight ends, the way Waldron was using his tight end packages was strong. Like if you will listen to any of those like guys who analyze film, like uh, uh, Dan Orlovsky or some of those other guys that are doing it on Twitter, they've been just raving about Waldron and some of the creative packages he's been running. Uh, Brian Baldinger has been talking about it too. And three personnel, three at eleven personnel, you're more just traditional dropbacks. Your pass pro has to hold up. You don't have guys who can ship. And with their offensive line personnel right now, and you saw like night and day, like last year when Cross and Lucas were healthy at the beginning of the year and they were performing well, Gino's numbers, Gino was playing at like an MVP level. And when those guys kind of hit the rookie wall and their pass pro, especially at center, deteriorated, the whole passing game deteriorated and. Right now, they don't have the offensive line in the pass pro to, to run that effectively. And then there are questions if Walter can do it. But I think the one positive was JSN looked awesome. Uh, the interception was him being double covered. That had nothing to do with anything he did. But that leak route he ran that he talked about that should have been that should have been a 40 yard touchdown. If he gets that touchdown with the 50 yards he already got, let's and there's plays. I, I was talking to someone who was at the game and they were just talking. He looked open all day, but that's great for JSN, and that's great to justify that draft pick. But as an offense, they weren't built to do that. And I, I think that where Waldron failed is he didn't adjust. And some of the things they did so well, especially in that Detroit game, was just create easy throws. And especially in the red zone, you could have had, like, rollouts. You could have had tight ends coming across, just play action. They weren't using – they weren't – Oh my God, Jeff, they had 11 play action dropbacks and Gino is like the number two play action passer in the NFL. Like why on earth are you not using play action? Like, especially with like, once the running game went away and 
Like, why are you not throwing like something first down? You get to the goal line after one of those Bobo catches. Why don't you throw something to the tight end and have them run a bit? Like, instead, they're trying to have, have and the receiver, they don't have like a jump ball receiver as big as DK is. Yeah. So just running their receivers out into the end zone, it doesn't play into what they're good at. And that's where I thought Waldron really, well, he was vanilla. He was not using his, and he didn't adjust. Like when it was clear that Sam Hubbard was dominating current, there's wait, you could have rolled out Gino to the right side, have someone go in space. And one of the mistakes Gino made, and Pete talked about it, is the throw he makes to JSN uh, in double coverage. There's actually a design screen to Walker, and Walker's sitting there with Parkinson, and he might have scored, or at least he might have got to like the five yard line. Gino missed that. He threw. He forced the ball to JSN. That was a game-losing play because even if you kick a field goal there, you win the game because um, it would have set up, but well, they only would have needed a field goal later. But there were some outlets that Gino missed, but again, I thought they were really stubborn and really we're going to stick with what we do rather than adjust. And there were clear adjustments that needed to be made based on what was going on up front. Yeah, yeah. Last thing I'll say there was, um, well, two things. You mentioned screen. This is one of the things that that comes back to bite them that they haven't been able to run this like effective screen. One of the ways that tried and true for decades, if a team is really getting pressure on you and they are coming after you, screen is a great way to punish them for that. And I've Seahawks don't have the capability of running that play, so it's like off the playbook pretty much. And then the other is. Gino was a statue back there. There was no rolling out. They didn't move the pocket at all. Bootlegs are part of this, like absolutely a key part of this offense in most cases. I don't know if it's because of his knee or like they just were wanting to like not make him do that, but he looked like he was moving around just fine. Yeah. So I don't know enough about that, but it was, I think Shane Waldron's got some proving left to do. I do agree with you. JSN looked great. And I think that's a big deal. Not just because, you know, we want him to be great, I think he put that on tape. The team's going to be watching that all week. That will affect Gino's decision-making about when to look for him. And hopefully he and he and Gino can start to develop that chemistry that we want and we know that is going to be a key to one of the biggest problems for this team, which is third down, right? Like if they can start like one of the best plays of that game that nobody talks about, first drive, third and six, hits JSN, for a conversion right on the seam, nice little curl route. That's what we imagined. Like he doesn't need to be a hundred yard receiver, but if he can be the guy that you can count on to get open when you need him to in a third down situation, that would be a massive, massive boost for this offense. All right, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, that's why I liked him for this team because we know what DK and Tyler can do. It's very clear. Tyler's still doing what he's doing. Tyler doesn't look as explosive and as fast as he's looked in some of the other years, but like you saw that play at the end of the game to get them inside the 10 yard line. That's like damage Tyler Lockett just winning in space. But he's none of those guys are just like the kind of guys who like dominate routes on third down. And that's what the Seahawks have needed since Doug left ultimately. They haven't had that guy. And that's why they've had third down struggles year after year after year because they don't have that third down route winner. And that's what JSN fits more so than even Addison or Zay Flowers is more of a gadget guy. JSN just knows how to use space and that's what he needs to unlock. But a lot of that will come down to, again, they need to pass protect 
And if they don't pass protect, a lot of the stuff doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's very true. All right. Let's take some patron questions. I have things I want to talk about. Zach Charbonnet, Jake Bobo, a bunch of other stuff, but, but I want to see what patron questions we've got. If you haven't already, give the show a like, please click subscribe. You get access uh, to uh, get notified when we go live and go over to patreon.com slash Hawk blogger. Sign up right now to get access to the Slack channel. We give away game tickets. And if you want, there are a few spaces available for the ring of honor. Um, there's, it's one of the cooler things we do. And we do a dinner every year with folks in ring of honor. We're planning it this year. We're hoping to maybe do it right around the Thanksgiving game. Uh, some of the guys will be in town. We're going to have a great time. All you got to do is join the ring of honor and you could get some extra fun uh, along the way. So think about doing it. Think about gifting it to somebody. It's a great gift as well. All right. And all proceeds go to charity uh, over $260,000 donated so far. All right, Jeff, let's take the first question here. This one comes from Dominic B. This one's a little bit interesting. Uh, would you have rather had a win in Cincinnati, but Jamal gets hurt again or leave the result as it was? Is Jamal hurt for a week or is he hurt for the season? Uh, does not say. That's a hard one. I'd probably rather, I think I'm rather okay sticking with what happened. I I think their ceiling is so much higher. If we can see the Jamal we saw last week, I think the offensive issues can be resolved. I don't think losing one of their potential blue chip players can be resolved. And I think for this team to hit this, I want to see where this defense can go. Before my coming into this year, I was, I want to see where this offense can go, but with Abe Lucas out and, who knows what the hell is going on in right tackle right now. I have limitations on the offense. With Jamal in, I just want to see where these guys can go and what the secondary can do. And to me, that's far more valuable than winning one game in a year where I don't think they can win the Super Bowl. All right. Uh, has no clue. Specifically wants you to answer this question, Jeff. <laughs> uh After going away from some of the extra tight end help last week, how do you see them addressing the blocking issues, especially with the news of Kerhan and Peters? People that don't know, Jake Kerhan did not practice today with his ankle. Jason Peters supposedly has a quadricep issue from last week. Don't know how serious. Uh, So his question is, what do you think they should do versus what do you think they probably will do? I would like to see them do what they did earlier in the year, especially in the Detroit game. I think right now the way they're set up, they're far better as a multiple tight end team. I think Waldron's comfortable in those packages. And I think they're going to need help at right tackle, chipping guys. And I think just in terms of like design, I think they're more creative. They create more easy throws. And I think right now that's what they need to do. This week, I don't know if they'll do that per se because they're not playing like a dominant rush in Arizona. And I think they want to get that three receiver package going. So they'll probably do a little more of that than I would do right now. But I think right now, I think making sure that you can pass protect and everything that goes towards making you a little more multiple, a little more complex to defend, even just making this, like just using deception. I think they're far more, I would like to see them use a little more tight end stuff right now. That would definitely, if your goal is to win the game, no doubt that's the way to do it. Like if, 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 
if you want to be the most conservative, that's the way to do it. I'm certainly in the camp of I want him to play Jason Peters unless he's hurt and he can't play. Yeah, I want to see that guy out there because if Abe Lucas can't come back or if he's not going to stay back when he does come back, I just I don't believe Jake Curran is a guy that you can go very far with or much farther with. Um, yeah, I don't want to see any more current. All right. Brundon asks, when it comes to accountability and Pete, is DK the new Russell? A lot of people plus one this question. So I will take a first stab here. Uh, I think it's an interesting comparison. I don't think he's the new Russell. I don't think, I don't think he's, I don't think he's getting special treatment. I think that he has gotten a lot of call outs from Pete from the very beginning and publicly. And it sounds like even in, in the locker room and in the, you know, meeting rooms, I guess I should say they're flashing up there, his penalties versus everybody else. And DK, DK just doesn't give a shit. Like he specifically said today, I don't care that you're showing me having the most penalties. I'm going to be the one I'm going to be who I'm going to be. So I think the better question might be, has Pete met his match in terms of his positive methods of accountability? Uh, does he need to hit DK in the wallet? Does he need to hit DK and the ego and sit him? Uh, because the methods he's using are not working. All right. Derek Woods asks, beyond winning, what other aspect of the game against Arizona are you most interested in? Examples could be strong passing D continues or JSN usage or QB protection or something else. Um, yeah, Arizona doesn't have a great offense. So a lot of the defensive things I'm looking to see, I don't know if I'll learn much this week. So I think this week is more about – I want to see them get back to running. I, I, this sounds – I'm such a JSN guy, but I want to see them get back to running the ball. I think they lost they lost that element of their offense. And what made their first drive so well is they – I think there's the ability to run and pass. They were so smooth. And the amount of just wasted plays and run last week was really disappointing uh, against a team that had been getting killed on the ground. And Arizona's a team – if you watch the Rams game last week against them, what turned the game around is they went on a drive and they didn't pass the ball. They went run, 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 and Kyron Williams just went all the way down the field and blew the game open. And I think for a lot of this offense to work, they need Ken Walker. And I don't know what Charbonnet's injury status is, but I want to see them get – I think this is a game where you can just control the game with the ground game. And obviously, JSN, I'm really invested in that. He's just a player I really like. But to me, I think that's an element of their team, especially with all these big defensive lines coming up. I think it's really important. Kenneth Walker is just the most boomer bust running back I can ever. Some runnings, uh, he makes these plays out of nothing, and he's been pretty efficient. But I think this needs to be a part of what they do. I think it helps Geno. I think it helps open up their offense. And I think in this game especially, I want to see them. I think that's an area of focus for me. It's a good one. Eric asks, with the trade deadline coming up, do you feel the Seahawks will be buyers, sellers, or stand pat? We've talked about the buying part. I don't think either of us think that they're likely to be buyers. Um, maybe they're a bargain basement thing that they do or get one of those good players for cheap, but it seems unlikely. We have heard reports that Howie Roseman is looking looking all over the league for defensive backs. And I do wonder if Michael Jackson is someone that 
that might end up somewhere else. Like I could see them moving Michael Jackson, both for his sake and to pull in a draft pick. I think, is it crazy that he could get like you like a fifth round pick, like a conditional fifth round pick? Maybe that becomes a fourth round if he starts a certain amount or meets some, some incentives. Like, I don't think that's crazy. No, uh, I think you'd have to consider that deal. Uh, I think with your three corners and some of the depth you have, uh, he's, he's very expendable. Yeah. All right. We've got a few more questions. Uh, we're not going to get to all of them tonight. Let's see how far we can go. All right. Uh, Michael Mathis asks, uh, what do you guys think about PCG, uh, uh, Pete Carroll, John Schneider, and how they maximize or attempt to maximize the talent on the roster? It feels rare to see a player leave Seattle and then play at a high level elsewhere. Um, I'm not sure how to answer this question. Uh, what do you think? What do you think, Jeff? Like, I think th I think what Michael's getting at is that people play their best with Pete and John. They don't tend to go elsewhere and excel. I think that's mostly true. Yeah, I, th I think we've seen pretty much over this year they haven't made a lot of misses where like Golden Tate was one of them, but I think that wasn't really a Golden Tate thing. That was more a Percy Arvin thing. But in the last seven years, their personnel up until the last two drafts have been horrible. And the, the lack of good players that have come into the building, there just aren't a lot of examples because they've just whiffed on so much. People bring up DJ Reed, but DJ Reed played really well here. In fact, he, he blossomed here. He was in San Francisco and was – Seattle snagged him and turned him from safety into corner and made him like he got his big free agent. It wasn't like he got some cheap free agent contract. He got a big free agent contract because he was a really good player here and he just continued to be good. So I don't think he, he like became better when he left. No. And ultimately like we all wanted them to pay DJ Reed because the roster looked pretty bleak at that point. But would you want him making $10 million on this team right now? Probably they replaced him with Tariq and who's making fifth round rookie salaries. I think he's under a million. So I think from a personnel standpoint, that's a dream move. And you might, DJ Reed might be a better player, but that's the exact kind of decision you're making. So it's just like the, the years from 2014 to 2020, their draft and the players they brought into the building were just so bad. There's no real examples other than like Frank Clark. And there's just nothing to really base that on. All right. Mark Zuck asks us the current level of play sustains. Do we extend Jordan Brooks in 2024? Uh, how much are you willing to pay him? This is one that really made me nervous late last year before he got injured because they didn't have anything. They were pretty bleak at the spot and the team just seems to really, really like him. Uh, I, I do think he needs to be extended. Uh, I think you want to see how he plays over the course of the season. I don't think there's any reason to do it early unless you can get him in a bargain. Uh, but the number is going to be tough because right now they've got, they don't have a lot of wiggle room, but they have a spot where they don't have any linebackers locked up. Bobby's a one on one year deal. Devin Bush is on a one year deal. Brooks in the last year's deal. So he's at the right age where you, you have to consider signing him, but it all has to be about the number. They, they, they just have made so many, so much investment safety, like, am I comfortable? I think 12 million would be okay in my head, but I'm just uncomfortable paying an off-ball linebacker 
that much money. And I think it just limits you elsewhere. And they just invested so poorly at the wrong positions. I, uh, but John builds a team so differently. I had to put all my money in the defensive line. And I think that's where they're going to need to, because Jaron Reed, again, he's, he's near the end of his career. They don't have him a lot of long. Mario Edwards on a one-year deal. To invest another 10 plus million in a linebacker. That makes me uncomfortable. I, that's where I am, Jeff. And no one's going to want to hear it. And everyone will, you know, get mad at me for it. I don't think you resign him. I, yeah. I, I, I think that he is not that kind of player to me. I think he's a good player. I think he's a borderline pro bowl player. Uh, and that's great. Like, I love having him on the team. I don't want him to go. But what he's going to cost and what yeah, the yeah. opportunity cost is of signing a guy at that price for that position, that's not it. I, mm -hmm. I would rather go back to, back to the draft, get more young linebackers, and just deal with it. Like, and, and I know what that means. But I would, to your point, I would much rather them invest more in the defensive line uh you know line. offensive line like other places you know cut jason myers get some of that money back i don't know um, and yeah you look at teams like the eagles they, they, that's what howie roseman's been so good at it's linebacker and safety he's been able to plug and play guys and they're, they're having some issues with safety this year but you can find guys even if they're not as good as brooks it doesn't hurt your defense and the dump like 12 to 14 million which is what brooks will probably command I think that would be a mistake. I'm, I'm yeah. with you. Uh, thank you to Michael Mathis for also uh, donating in super chat. He uh, writes, uh, my apologies. I wrote that question while I was drunk. I should have phrased it better. <laughs> I, Michael, you know, I'm used to your great questions that. on here. So I appreciate the explanation. Always appreciate the super chat. Thank you for that. All right. Let's take uh, two more and then we will, uh, we'll head into talking about this upcoming game against Arizona. Troy Fagan asks, how do your expectations change about this team's ceilings if the offense is a top 10 or slightly out of the top 10 range versus a top five group that many predicted, but the defense is a top 10 group versus a bottom third group many predicted? It's kind of what we were talking about before. So basically Troy's saying, what if this is a 10, like an 8 to 12 ranked offense and now you've got a top 10 defense to go along with it. How does that change your expectation of what the team can do this year? Uh, I think you can win a playoff game with that formula. Uh, I did not think they could win a playoff game with the, uh, with a defense that bad. And even with the top five offense, I think they're going to need to be good on defense to win in the playoffs. And if your offense is top borderline, top 10, not a disaster. I think you can have a higher ceiling than I would have gone in with the year where I thought their their realistic ceiling was maybe winning a playoff game, probably losing in the wildcard round. I think with a defense like this, you can win a playoff game and maybe two. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, last question. This question... We'll take Braxton's question here. Where does Jaron Reed rank all time among Seahawks defensive tackles? <laughs> My God. I mean, Cortez it's not the Kennedy. best group. Let, let's start naming some Cortez Kennedy, Marcus Tubbs, uh, Brandon Meebane, obviously Michael Bennett. 
Yeah. Um, John Randall. John Randall for a time. Uh, I mean, John. He's better than a Taba Rubin. Yeah. <laughs> he's better than Colin Cole. Yeah. Uh, he's better than Tony McDaniel. Although Tony McDaniel was pretty good. Um, I know I'm missing some that uh, are top of my, like, oh, I mean, Joe Nash back in the Joe day, Nash. very different bodies back then. Um, oh, uh, Sam Adams. Yeah, Sam Adams is good. Sam Adams up there. Uh, Grant Wistrom, I see. Not a, he was not no, exactly. yeah, he was an, an edge. edge. He was an edge. Um, so yeah, top ten for sure. I think that's pretty safe, don't you? Yeah, I think mean, that says more about the Seahawks talent. I don't think the well, and I see Max says Red Bryant. Red Bryant started as a defensive tackle, but he really ended up playing five tech. Is where he ended up really when when Dan Quinn moved him outside to play defensive end. He's this big dude playing there. Rocky Bernard, that's a good one, Lane. Yeah, yeah, he had that one really good. Year. Rocky was Rocky. I, I think Rocky might be a good comp for Jaron Reed. Um, Clinton McDonald was good, but not. I, I would. He's more of a rotational guy. So, yeah, it's not been a particularly strong position. As <laughs> no, part of why. <laughs> It's part of why we were so hoping that Jalen Carter was going to be the right answer. Um, All right. Those we're going to make that it for patron questions. And I thank you for everyone that took the time to submit a question. We'll try to get in there and answer them offline. You too can ask us questions. Patreon.com slash Hawk blogger sign up now. And I will encourage you to really think about that ring of honor uh, level. It's a great way to support the group it also opens up chances if you want to do advertising on the blog or on the pod we support that at the ring of honor level and you get to come out for i think what's going to be an awesome steak dinner is what's looking like what's going to happen so it's not too late sign up patreon.com slash hawk blogger all right jeff i mean part of the reason i left this till the very very end of this uh this pod is i mean Arizona is Arizona. Like, I, I don't think it's worth breaking down this team in any real way. I think this is more about, I mean, the Seahawks lose this game. You know, I don't know that anything really matters. Like, uh, this yeah. is about, this is about what do we need to see from the Seahawks? What do we need to like, hopefully see a progress from what's going to be the thing that makes us feel like, what are your expectations of what you want to see in this game? What are you going to be looking for? Uh, obviously, the spotlight is on Gino right now. Uh, this is a big bounce-back spot. He needs to, to have a much better game, frankly. And obviously, I'm going to be focused on who's playing right tackle, number one. Is Damian Lewis coming back? Who's playing the other offensive line spots? But so much as this is just – I want to see a good, competent game from Gino. And Gino's been up and down this year. And again, this this whole season is a huge evaluation for him. And so Arizona's not a great defense. They play really, really hard for their talent efficiencies. They're what I call like a 30-minute team. They, they play really, really hard for 30 minutes. And then the second half, their talent efficiencies start to show up. So I just want to see the offense have a, a good, confident game. They ultimately... And again, I talked about it before, the run game is a spot. I think it's a huge focus for me this game. And 
the offense in general. But for me, I just want to see Gino. I want to see how Gino responds. There's the first time people have been calling for his job. He's playing against probably the worst opponent. They'll play the rest of the year. Um, I want to see a good game. It's interesting. I, I don't think there's a game Gino could have against this team that would change anyone's perspective. Like no. in, in the positive. Like I think if he goes out there and throws for 300 plus and three touchdowns, all the doubters will say is, yeah, do it against a good team. For like, sure. That's all that will they'll say. So I, I think it's interesting. I, I think from a sense of Gino needs to to eliminate the errors, eliminate the mistakes. I think that's a, a really and he hasn't really made a lot of errors this season. This last game was the first he he had had one pick the whole year. Um halftime of that game, the the analysts were like, it's gonna come down to who makes the mistake first. And Gino hasn't really made mistakes this year, and then <laughs> <laughs> there were plenty in the second half. So I think eliminating mistakes would be a good, good start. I do think building on the JSN game is a big deal. I, like I want to see JSN take steps forward. I would like to see some passing touchdowns, not just rushing touchdowns. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's the primary thing I would like to see kind of unlock. I wouldn't mind seeing more Jake Bobo either. Like he, those That's two good. guys, like those two guys, I'd love to see a little bit more uh, of. And then defensively, I want suffocation, Jeff. Yeah. I want, I want these guys to leave Lumen Field in vacuum seal. Like I want them not to be able to breathe. And there's, there's not a lot of talent on that that team. Josh Dobbs is probably your biggest concern from just a scrambling perspective. Good. Let's see how this team does. Like Dobbs has not been awful. He's been an okay quarterback. Last week, he's been above any expectation. So I would love to see the defense just dominate again, like put three and three weeks in a row. Now, bigger picture, Jeff, what matters? Um, Third down offense, third down defense, red zone offense, red zone defense. Seahawks are 20th or worse. And three of those four, they're 30th or worse in the NFL. So I think we need to see some, some progress there. And I think that we're starting to see that on the defensive side of the ball, at least for third downs. And I think JSN can be part of turning it around on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, this like Evan was worried this was going to be a trap game, but I think it, based on how that game ended last week, probably a sour taste that left them all those guys' mouths. I were, think you, were you surprised by this point spread for this game? I a little bit, but Arizona looks like they're just their talent levels catching up with them, and when you, the Rams just they were they were I, I think Arizona was either winning or it was tied at halftime. And they just looked like they were out of steam. And once James Conner had been playing really, really well for them, mm -hmm. and once he took him out, it was like almost like the straw that broke the camel's back, which is kind of sad considering what how little running backs matter. And James Conner is like mid at best. And they just don't have talent. Like Hollywood Brown's played kind of well. Like they can use Rondell more creatively, but like they just don't have those 
blue they they've gone they've, they've been really well like we all made fun of john again he's done a really good job just coaching them they've looked competent all year they have. which shocked me i thought they were going to be like what the bears have looked like what the panthers have looked like and they play hard so i think they're just expecting sort of what happened in that game where you saw some real stuff with seattle last week you saw their defense and you saw arizona just in the second half they just had nothing left in the tank and so it really should play in Seattle's favor, but Seattle doesn't typically do well when they're big favorites. Yeah, I was shocked. It was like seven points last time I saw. It was a, that's a big spread. Seahawks have not been good at, at Lumen for a few years now, so it would be nice to feel like they actually – it's an inhospitable environment, that they actually play to the crowd. Um, that the I think I think part of that, honestly, Jeff – the defense is what benefits from the home field more than anything else. And they just haven't had the talent on defense to really take advantage of that. It'll be interesting. Like let's see this group with the crowd behind them. It was pretty loud in the Panthers game and the defense did. Okay. Um, I would love to see that kind of as well in this one. Uh, Let's get to scores here and predictions. What are you predicting for the score of this game, Jeff? I'm going to say 24 to 10 Seattle. Interesting. All right. I am going to a little bit more bullish. I am going to say the Seahawks get back over the 30 point mark. Um, I'm going to say 37 to seven. I'm going to say it's going to, it's going to be a big, uh, I'm gonna, yeah, I'll just stick with that. I, I almost wanted to bring down the point total a little bit, but let's go 37 to seven. I think the Seahawks are going to create some turnovers. I think that the offense is going to find their stride. Um, I think it's a get well game. And uh, I think people are going to be feeling very different. And they're going to be talking about all sorts of foolish things and overreacting to how good the game goes. So that's what I'm going to go ahead and predict for this game. Yeah, this has blow up potential. This was sort of like that Giants game we saw where we just said, this game looks one-sided on paper. That was how the Giants game looked. And that was when the offense was basically useless the entire game. It was still one-sided. So I want to see them just go out and kick their ass because they should. Like if, if that defense, what we saw was real, they should beat the shit of this team. And That's it. I, I, the reason my number was lower was that I seen that offensive line scouting report today and I don't know who the fuck's going to play right tackle uh, until I see they have a right tackle I can block. I think my offensive hopes are a little shot right now. I, I, I get it. I get it. Is there anything we didn't bring up that you think we should talk about before we uh, wrap we up for the night? much into the DK stuff. I don't know if we need to. I think it's been covered. Yeah. I mean, what, how much, what, what, anything you want to say on that topic? Uh, like I was a little discouraged with what I heard from Pete on Monday. Um, I know DK had the story where he didn't hear the whistle, and that didn't that didn't hold up with me. Uh, that, that my bullshit with meter was through the roof. Even if you, even if that was true, the play was clearly over. DK has this, and now it's they've had two losses this year in five games, and both losses, DK's kind of lost his head, and he's kind of acted like like the fake tough guy. I don't want to call him. I know DK needs like dk is a guy like he plays better when he's on the edge and 
there was that game in Philly a couple of years ago where he was talking shit to Slay, and they were talking about how scary he was. And I think Pete's trying to hold that fine line between taking that away, but I think they're enabling him. And then KJ said the same thing today. Uh, KJ thought the coaches let him needed to call him out essentially and say like, "This is bullshit. This is enough." And hearing Pete not kind of publicly kind of say like, "This is unacceptable," I was disappointed in that. I think you're either coaching or letting it happen, and that story did not pass the smell test to me. I, there's no way it had nothing to do with whether you hear the whistle or not, and that's just crap. If he blocked him like he was actually trying to block him, and like you block, you grab the inside of the shoulder pads, and the and you're like inside the frame, and you start blocking the guy. He wasn't trying to block the guy, and in fact, today he said. This playing football is one place I get to be violent. I'm going to be violent. That's not about he was trying to block somebody or he didn't hear the whistle. He wanted to hit the guy like he wanted to be violent, which I get like that's I can understand that being part of what you like about football. But don't then try to sell us uh, like a load of shit about the whistle. It had nothing to do with anything to do with the whistle. And Pete mimicking that or, you know, parroting that is just stupid. So, yeah, I mean, DK, my read has been that DK, people are saying, oh, he's frustrated because he's not getting the ball. I don't think that's it. I think DK is just acting a little bit like a punk. Like, I don't know other way to put it, but just like he's, he's, it is a me selfish decision that he continues to make because of something he wants to do, even though today he said, I know the team doesn't want me to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. I don't know how much more selfish you can get in terms of clarifying why you're doing it than that. So look, I think that the only way you get through to a guy like DK potentially is you get him off the field or you take away, you, you find him or I don't think the fines are working from the NFL. So I think the problem is if, if you bench him, you take him off the field for that kind of thing. I don't know if DK is going to, how he's going to recover from that. I don't know that he'll like be motivated by that. So you might lose him entirely. And that's part of what Pete's probably trying to figure out is what buttons can I push with this guy? Yeah. And the thing is like teams have the book on him now, like both their losses. It was a clear emphasis. Listen to the Bengals talk after the game and listen to like people who are at the game. Like the emphasis was to try to rattle him and get under their skin and Cam Taylor Britt, like, he was kind of egging DK on. And it seemed like that was really – if if that's their emphasis and he's fallen right into that, that's a huge problem. Yep. DK was so good at it. At the end of his career, is he was drawing other people into taking – like Jalen Ramsey, he used to like torment. And guys would hit him and they'd get 15-yard penalties. That's two games now where like the Rams sideline was going after him and they've lost both those games. So – they need to change something there. And hearing Pete kind of parrot a story, I was really disappointed in that. Sure would be nice if the stories about DK were about him just being a dominant player that that nobody could stop. It's been a while. It's been a while since he put up like 140 yards and two touchdowns in a game. Um, and I don't think that's because he's not getting – chances i just don't think he's been good enough so um yeah we will see what happens with dk that's gonna be a developing story and you just recently signed him so you're you're 
attached the hip to this guy. And you have to hope that he starts to figure out a way to be more impactful for the right reasons going forward. Yeah. All right, Jeff, let's wrap there. Thank you, man, for coming on. It was fun getting the OG crew back together uh, at real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. You can find him there. Always great content. And I'm Brian Emhauser at Hawk blogger. Thanks to everyone who joined tonight. You can give the show a like if you haven't already. We'd appreciate that. Give a five-star review on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And then go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up now. Get access to the Slack channel where the conversation continues. It is great there. Good people, good folks, good fun. Do it. You won't regret it. I promise. And it's a good gift. You can offer it to someone else as well. Patreon.com slash hawkblogger. All right, everybody. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your night. Go Hawks. Hey folks, this is Brian Nemhauser. Thanks for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed it. I want you to know that Real Hawk Talk is available on all major podcast platforms. Go ahead and subscribe. Have all podcasts delivered directly to your phone after each and every show. And then go ahead and leave us a five-star review. Helps us out, gets more people to the show. Then... If you haven't already done it, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger and subscribe for just five bucks a month. Gets you immediate access to our Slack channel. Join hundreds of folks in that community to talk Seahawks about wins, losses, and all things in between. Not to mention become eligible to win giveaways for Seahawks tickets and get to ask questions of the Real Hawk Talk crew every week on the show. Finally, if you haven't gone to hawkblogger.com recently, head on over. Tail the tape morning after articles are there every week. Hoping to see you there. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting the show. Go Hawks.